Let's turn in our Bibles once more to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. First Peter chapter 2 and we'll read from verse 11 to the verse 25. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11. First Peter chapter 2 verse 11 reading of course from the authorized version. Dearly beloved I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles, that whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. Submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it be to the king as supreme, or unto governors as unto them that are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers, and for the praise of them that do well. For so is the will of God, that with well-doing you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, and not using your liberty for a cloak of maliciousness, but as the servants of God. Honour all men, love the brotherhood, fear God, honour the king. Servants, be subject to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the froward. For this is thankworthy, if a man for conscience toward God endure grief, suffering wrongfully. For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently. But if, when ye do well and suffer for it, ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow his steps, who did no sin. Neither was guile found in his mouth, who when he was reviled, reviled not again, but when he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Be where a sheep going astray, but are now returned unto the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Amen. We know that God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from 1 Peter chapter 2 and the verse 24. And my subject today is considering the cross work of Christ. Now the Apostle Peter, like the other apostles, was a gospel preacher. Constantly, continually, and consistently, he laid great emphasis on the cross work of Jesus Christ. I want you to remember that without Calvary, there is no gospel. Without the blood shedding of Jesus Christ in the tree, 
There's no good news for a sinful, lost, dying world. The Bible says without the shedding of blood is no remission. And like the Apostle Paul, Peter, I believe, would have been able and glad to say, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when you think of the cross, I certainly don't want you to think of a crucifix. I don't want you to think of a T-shape made of silver or gold with a, 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 an image of the body of Jesus on it. I don't even want you to think of the material uh, of wood. Isn't it interesting and sad at the same time? The Roman Catholic Church claims to have uh, bits of the original cross of Jesus Christ from 2,000 years ago. And they have them as sacred relics and people can go and touch them and pay money and say a little prayer beside them. But they have enough to make hundreds of crosses. But I don't want you to think of the material of the cross or even the making of the cross. I want you to think today of the man in the cross. I, I want you to think of the, the mediatorial work of the cross. You see, that was everything to Peter. In fact, it was everything to the true believers to whom he was writing. In fact, we could say it's central to true apostolic preaching. Now, here's Peter. And remember, he's writing to encourage suffering saints. That's why he made seven references to the sufferings of Christ. He wants them to get their eyes in Christ. Seven, remember, is a number of perfection. And I've said, that's a sermon all by itself. See the bulletin, look at the outline, ponder the truth. But Peter introduces us here in 1 Peter chapter 2 to two aspects of the suffering and the death of Christ. He tells us, and he's already taught us, that his sufferings were an example to us. And last week we looked at the subject, keep on considering Christ as our supreme example. Now here's the second aspect to the suffering of Christ. His sufferings were an expiation of sin. The word expiation, expiate, just means to put away. Literally, Christ's death was a sacrifice to put away sin, to break its power and hold over us, enabling us to live a holy and godly life to the glory of God. Now, I've already said to you last week that we would preach in verse 24 today. Here's a sermon really in preparation for our communion service about to take place. I've looked at the text, I've pondered it, I've asked myself, what's it all about? What's it saying to us as we read the scriptures. Now look at the text. Who his own self bear our sins on his own body in the tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Now there's three things in this text I want to set before you. I want you to think of the special body of Christ on the tree. Think of the words his own body on the tree. This is a reference to Christ's true humanity. 
And as you think of the body of Christ in the tree, I want you to think that this is a specific body. It's his own body. Now, if you turn over there to Hebrews chapter 5, you'll read the, sorry, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 5, we read, Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, here's a reference to his incarnation, reference to his virgin birth, a reference to um, him being born at Bethlehem. Wherefore, when he cometh into the world, he saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared for me. And the word hast thou prepared me means hast thou fitted me. You see, the body of goats, bulls and sheep could not literally or actually bear away the sin of a lost humanity. When Jesus Christ was coming into the world in the fullness of time, God prepared, God furnished a body for Jesus Christ. And you've got to think of the miraculous formation of the body of Jesus Christ within the body of the Virgin Mary. Now, we have to be honest, we can't fully grasp that. And we certainly can't explain it with words. It's mysterious to us. But I want to tell you that while it's mysterious, it was miraculous it was unique, it was specific, it was a one-off. If you cross-reference that with Luke chapter 1 and in the verse uh, 35, in Luke chapter 1 uh, verse uh, 35, we read the words, And the angel answered and said unto her, Remember Mary asked, how shall this be, seeing I know not a man? Never had intimate relationship with a man. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. And the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And there you've got the doctrine of the Incarnation. And the doctrine of the Incarnation is a cardinal doctrine of the Christian faith. Our moderator on Friday night at the ordination for Craig Dennison made reference to John chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was with God in the beginning. And he made reference to the eternality of the Word. In the beginning was the Word. He made reference to his personality. And the word was with God. And he made reference to his deity. And the word was God. And then he came down to John 1 and 14. It says, And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father. And there's a reference to his humanity. Doesn't the Bible say, But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his Son, made of a woman. 
made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. You see, made of a woman is a reference to the body of Christ. And God prepared and furnished a unique body for Jesus Christ of the substance of the Virgin Mary by the power of the Holy Ghost. God formed the body of Jesus Christ via the incarnation of the substance of the Virgin Mary. Jesus Christ had a true and real human body. And therefore he is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he identifies with us in the likeness of sinful flesh. Notice secondly here that it was a sinless body. This body of Jesus Christ that he lived his life in. He did so without one trace of original sin. The Lord Jesus had a sinless body. He was not able to sin in that body. There's not one trace or aspect of human depravity. Not one bit of corruption. You and I are born in sin and shaped in iniquity. Original sin comes from Adam, Romans chapter 5, verse 12. Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for the all have sinned. There's no exception to human depravity. You and I were born not with a perfect sinless body. Psalm 51 and verse 5. Behold, I was shaped in iniquity, and sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58 and verse 3, the wicked are estranged from their womb and go astray, speaking lies. See, there's no such thing as a a perfect boy or a perfect girl. We sin naturally. We're prone to sin. But Jesus Christ, by the miraculous working of the power of the Holy Ghost, Formed from the substance of a woman called Mary, herself a sinner, God the Father produced, fitted, prepared the sinless body of Jesus Christ. Now, you've got to understand that. He never sinned in thought, word, or in deed. I believe this morning in the impeccability of Jesus Christ. And that big word, a theological term, just means the sinlessness of Christ. He never said a wrong word. He never had a bad thought. He never was guilty of an ungodly deed. He was never cross or mad. He was not irritable. He never overept or or, or overslept. He was absolutely sinless. Remember he asked the question, which of you convinceth me of sin? He was sinless in his words, sinless in his ways. He was sinless in his work. He's called in the Hebrews the holy, harmless and undefiled. Now he lived in this world with a real, true human body, this world full of sin and temptation. And we're told that in this world, three things about him, he did no sin. Isn't that what it says in verse 22? Who did no sin? That refers to his actions. He went about doing good, the Bible tells us. But he did no sin. The Bible tells us also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, that he knew no sin. That is, he was not acquainted with it. 
He was not familiar with it. Remember, he is holy and harmless and undefined. And we also read in 1 John chapter 3, in him was no sin. In other words, there was nothing to instigate sin. There was no spark. There wasn't the ingredient there. And yet the amazing thing is, he was tempted in all points like as we are. And his temptations was real. And he experienced the full fury and power of the devil against him. And he knew all about trials and troubles. And he knew about tears. Isn't that why Paul was able to say, to encourage the Hebrews to get their eyes in Christ. And he said, seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Why? For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore, in light of this, come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Something else about the body of Christ. It was a suffering body. His sufferings were real. Now, let me just point out one of those references to the sufferings. First Peter chapter 4 and verse 1. It says. For as much then as Christ has suffered for us in the flesh. That's a reference to his body. See in this specific sinless body the Lord Jesus knew and felt the pain of suffering he endured real pain and agony think for a moment of his physical sufferings during the days of his humiliation I believe his sufferings began the day of his birth I believe that he, he would have even suffered in the flesh when he was but a baby and when he was but a boy I think it stretches back to that. It was certainly part of his suffering during the days of his humiliation. Think of his sufferings physically when he was a true man. We'll come to his death on the cross. And in that body, he felt real pain. The pain of the hair plucked out from his face. The pain of the whip. Remember the cat of nine tails that they scourged him with the, the blood flowing down his back leaving it running red like a ploughed field I think of the pain of the crown of thorns maybe anything from one to six inches long crushed onto his lovely brow and the blood running down his face think of the pain of the tree whenever the, the nails were, 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 were being driven think of the pain of slapping and, and they asked him who smote you you see he really suffered isn't it interesting that in Matthew chapter 27, verse 33 and 34, when they brought Christ to the place of the skull, outside the city walls of Jerusalem, did you know that they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall? And the Bible tells us that he tasted it, but didn't drink. Here's this Roman crucifixion taking place. And they're showing a little bit of mercy. What, what this vinegar to drink mingled with gall was was like sour wine I'm told mingled with some sort of drops of um, um, opiate or, 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 or a morphine type of substance it was to do with pain relief it was to, to mitigate his suffering 
In other words, they were saying, if you drink this here, you'll not feel as much pain in your suffering. But we're told in Matthew chapter 27, 33 and 34, that when he tasted it, he would not drink it. Why? Because he would not mitigate the full pain of his physical suffering, even on the tree. Think of his mental suffering. We have read here, um, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judges righteously. He was abused by words of mouth. The people sarcastically taunted him. He saved others himself he couldn't save. And when you come to the, the, the cross, and when you listen to the people and read what they're saying, you'll see a display of the total depravity of the hearts of men. I can almost hear their jeers. I, I, I can hear their cries against them. I, I think of the soldiers sitting down there playing the game of the gambling school for his clothes. The Bible says he endured shame. Hebrews chapter 12 uh, verses 2 and 3. The Bible says in Isaiah 50 and verse 6, He hid not his face from shame. Did Christ suffer? Oh, he suffered, not only physically, but, but mentally. He suffered shame. Even on the tree. And then there was extraordinary sufferings. The death of Jesus Christ, of course, was unique. There was no other like it. His death was supernatural. Yes, men had their part to play. Acts 2 and 22. Uh, Peter, on the day of Pentecost, this very writer, he, he talked about uh, men with, with wicked hands crucifying Christ. But when men had done their worst, when men done all that they could, and crucifixion is a horrible death, and who could describe it by words? Peter went on to say in Acts 2 and verse 23, he was delivered by the foreknowledge and determinate counsel of God. In other words, remember Isaiah 53 and 10, it pleased the Lord to bruise him. When men had done their worst, then the hand of God took over. When the devil had done his worst, then the hand of the Lord took over. Because it was at that point that Christ suffered extraordinary sufferings. He suffered the wrath of God. Remember the three hours of darkness? Blanket darkness covering Jerusalem. We could ask ourselves, how real is the wrath of God? Is there such a concept? The answer is yes. Go to the cross. Think there. Ponder there. Remember he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And over in the book of Romans... The Apostle Paul was able to say in Romans chapter 8 and verse um, 32, He that spared not his own son. Think, think of God the Father delivering his son, not only to death, but to his suffer his own wrath. But delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Doesn't Isaiah tell us there in Isaiah chapter 52 and in the uh, verse uh, 14, uh, speaking again of Christ when he tells us, uh, Behold my servant. Uh, and he says, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. This is a reference to Christ in the tree. And the Bible tells us in Deuteronomy, 
Cursed is everyone who hangs in a tree. And Jesus Christ had extraordinary sufferings because he was suffering the wrath of God. The special body of Christ in the tree. Notice quickly and secondly, the sacrificial bearing of Christ in the tree. If you go back to to Peter, what, what does Peter tell us there? He says, who his own self bear our sins on his own body on the tree. Bear our sins. Notice the problem here. Our sins. Man's greatest problem is his sin. Ours, Peter's including himself. Remember, he's addressing believers who are saved, even though they're suffering greatly as saints of God. He thinks of himself. He's thinking of his own sinful thoughts and words and deeds. He's thinking about the dawn of each day, each week, each month, each year. He's thinking about the sins of a lifetime. All your sins and mine. He's writing to the people. Our sins. He's including himself as a preacher along the people. Sin that's put to our account. Sin with our name on it. And remember, apart from Jesus Christ and apart from the grace of God, we've all got a guilty record. We've all got a bad heart, no exceptions. The the Bible says, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet God in wonderful grace and God in wonderful mercy provided a perfect remedy for the problem of human sinfulness. And that problem or, or that remedy was Jesus Christ. And you've got to think of his sacrificial bearing of Christ in the tree. Because who his own self bear our sins. With its guilt and punishment. Notice the passion here. Who his own self. He had a willingness to bear our sin. He was not forced. He he, he was not. Forced against his will. He said I come to do thy will. Oh my God. And you know Jesus Christ is the greatest volunteer in the whole world. His was a willing sacrifice. Here he is in the very act of sin bearing. And we could ask how could he do it? He did it in love. He did it voluntarily. He did it willingly. I want you to think of Christ as your substitute. He took my place. He died for me. In other words it was in the stead of me. I want you to think of Christ as a sin bearer. He was made to be sin. That that is, he took our sins to his own account. And that's a mystery. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he that is God hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. The Holy One of God became a sin bearer for us. He was wounded for our transgressions. Bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With the stripes we are healed. He became a sacrifice. Behold the Lamb of God. Which taketh away the sin of the world. All the Old Testament offerings. Bulls and goats and rams. 
lambs, they all pale into insignificance when you think of the one for all sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Hebrews 10 and 12, But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Think of Christ as a, as a sin offering, bearing the wrath of God, because the, the, the Bible talks about the offering in the Old Testament uh, experiencing the fire. Uh, and that, that, that's a, 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 an image and a sign of, to tell us how much God hates our sin. Jesus Christ was offering himself as a substitute, as a sin bearer, as a sin offering, as a sacrifice, all to become our saviour. We, we were singing there this morning, Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. He rendered a once and for all complete and perfect sacrifice that satisfied the eternal justice and law and the holiness of God. His own self bear our sins in his own body. Notice quickly here the purpose. It says in the text that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Now let's ask this question. What was Jesus Christ seeking to do on the cross? He was accomplishing something. What was it? He was accomplishing a definite salvation and a definite atonement for all who would trust him as Lord and Saviour. He was providing a salvation that really saves. He was making an atonement that really atones. And what was the purpose of that? Think of the word that. In order that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness. Now let me say this as we finish this morning. Salvation is not an insurance policy that you cash in at death and are admitted to heaven. It can be viewed like that. But you see, salvation was intended to make people different, to make people holy. Doesn't the Bible say, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature, all things have passed away and all things become new. Jesus died to save his people from the power as well as the penalty of willful sin. Romans 6 and 14 tells us sin shall not have dominion over you. Jesus Christ died to deliver us from the penalty of sin and to break its power. In the book of Titus we're told that we're to deny ungodly lusts and to live soberly and godly and righteously in this present evil world. And in the context of that, Titus was, was being written to by Paul about Christ who gave himself for us that he might purify unto himself a, a peculiar people, zealous of good works. And you see, the grace of God that, that sent Jesus to bleed and die on the tree, the grace of God teaches us that we're to live right in the world. Let, let me just illustrate. I'm going to illustrate from somebody that you probably know and heard of, a, a man called... Um, Billy Hamilton, the late Billy Hamilton and I remember chatting to Billy and uh, Billy used to say to me if you'd have known me before I got saved 
And you see, one thing that stood out about Billy Hamilton was this. He had a changed life. He used to be a drunkard. He used to be a curser. He was a gambler. He was a womanizer. He was a smoker. He had no time for God. He had no thought for prayer. He would never have read his Bible. He'd never have found him in a church. And then when he got saved and met Jesus Christ, his life was changed. Radically, it was different. You see, the grace that saves changes lives. And that's the context here. That's the theme here. Power to live a holy life. We are called to holiness amid the sufferings of daily life. And Paul wants us to understand that Christ bore our sins in the tree. He was a substitute who sacrificed himself for us. He was our sin bearer. Our sin was put to his account. It was transferred legally to him. He became a sin offering and bore the wrath of God for us that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness. And I want you to see the truth of our union with Christ. You see, when when he died for us, we also died in him. Christ and his people are one. As in Adam, all die. So in Christ are all made alive. God deals with us in him. Never apart from him. Never without him. But only and always in him. He fulfilled the law of God perfectly. So did we legally in him. Because we were in his loins. He died in our account, in our behalf. The Bible teaches that we died in him. In Romans 8 and 1 we read... Therefore we have now no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we can triumph. We can have power to overcome. Isn't it true this morning that the big problems that we face as Christians is not the big sins? There's none of us guilty of murder, stealing, adultery, blasphemy. But oftentimes the seat of our trouble is how we react to a given set of circumstances and, and situation. It's true of me. We can be so touchy. We, we can suddenly fly off the handle. We, we can suddenly allow ourselves to become irritable. And we can be upset by the little small things. And they cause problems in our interpersonal relationships. Doesn't the Bible talk about the little foxes that spoil the vine? Jealousy, the gossiping, the discord... Spirit of bitterness, the pride. We say things that are not right. Let's remember this morning. If we want victory over these little things that trouble us, then let's recognize and remember that we are one with Christ in his death and one with Christ in his resurrection victory. And the more we recognize our union with Christ, then we'll be able to, by faith, live that life of power and victory. Because sin will not have the rule or the hold over us because we remember, I am dead with Christ, dead to this sin. I can have victory over this. The sacrificial bearing of Christ in the tree. One final thought and we're finished. The significant benefit of Christ in the tree. Notice the words, by whose stripes ye were healed. And the word stripes would have meant a lot to these struggling saints. The word stripes would have meant flogging. They were probably had experienced loads of flogging in their time, especially those who were slaves. By whose stripes ye were healed. Now, 
Now, I have to be honest, some people use this here as a reference to bodily sickness. And they quote Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 5 and say, there you are, by whose stripes you were healed, you can have bodily healing. And I believe that God does heal. And I believe we should offer the prayer of sick, uh, prayer of faith for those who are sick and ask God to do the healing. I believe that God does heal people's bodies, even in miraculous ways. But to go on from that to say that it's not God's will for a believer to be sick, to go on to that and say that all sickness is of the devil, and to go on to say that, that the redemptive purpose of Jesus Christ was to uh, give bodily healing to all who are in Christ, I would have to say isn't true. Because God can use sickness. And God can use illness for his own glory and purpose. And many of God's people have suffered greatly bodily affliction and real pain. And they've been confined to bed for years. And we could name many of them. Just think of Fanny Crosby, the great hymn writer, who, who, who had the disability of blindness. Many other ailments besides. I'm convinced it's not really a reference to bodily sickness. I am convinced it's a reference to spiritual sickness. Remember Jesus said, those that are whole don't need a doctor or a physician. But if you're sick, you'll call for the doctor. And he says, I am come not to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. And you see, the truth and teaching of the Bible is there is a doctor for our spiritual sickness. And his name is Jesus Christ. And by his stripes, that, that is what he died or what, what he suffered on the cross. Through that, ye can be spiritually healed and made whole to the glory of God. And the word ye refers to believers, those who are redeemed by blood and who are born again and who love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Just let me ask you in closing do you know the benefits of Christ in the tree? Have you recognized your spiritual sickness of sin? Have you gone to do the doctor, Jesus Christ himself, and, and said, Lord, make me one of your own? I want to know the joy of sins forgiven. I want to know that I'm washed in the blood. I want to know I'm born of the Spirit. I want to know what it is to believe in you. I want to love you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. Because you'll never know these benefits till you become a believer, till you're washed in the blood. Till you're born of the Spirit. Are you a believer? Are you born again? Are you washed in the blood this morning? We point you to Christ. The cross work of Christ. The special body. Let's remember that. Let's remember the sacrificial bearing. He bore our sins in all the outworking of that. Let's remember the significant benefit. And ask yourself, have I this benefit today? May the Lord bless these few truths to our heart.